0: Welcome to the Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast, where we are all about going beyond programs, beyond best practices, and beyond curriculum, to recover and learn from our Wesleyan roots, and to explore the foundations for small groups that are organized to beat the devil and that produce disciples of Jesus Christ to, in turn, disciple others. My name is Scott Hughes, and I am the Director of Adult Discipleship here at Discipleship Ministries.
1: And I'm Steve Manskar. I'm the director of Wesleyan Leadership at Discipleship Ministries.
0: I'm going to begin this podcast with an image that comes from perhaps my favorite book outside of the Bible, and that is C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce. I've read it at least three times. So
1: of all the... You read a lot of books, Scott. <laughs> I do. That's I one like thing those. I know about you. Yep. You read... And that's... That's At, saying a lot that that's is. your favorite book.
0: It, it is. It is saying a lot. Besides the Bible, it is. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm looking forward to the day when that becomes a movie. <laughs> I'm, I guess I think it would be. I think it'd be excellent. Um, highly recommend it. If you're looking for a book to read right now, go pick up a copy. It won't take you long. Short book. But in the quick synopsis, is there are folks in hell slash purgatory who take a bus ride to heaven. <coughs> Or at least the gates of heaven and you get the stories of these people on the bus and their experiences but the beginning of the book talks about or gives an image of of hell and in this image of hell um, people are moving further and further away from one another it's an image of isolation and disconnection that's what hell is as opposed to heaven which is all about relationship Hmm. Right. So um, the reason I give that image is, for me, small groups are a place we can experience a taste of heaven. We can experience when it's going well, we experience connection, belonging, intimacy, vulnerability. Um, and so um, that, that's what we're talking about today on this podcast is how to build trust and vulnerability in a small group. Because when, when a, a small group is going well, trust is there when there's no trust small groups not going to thrive right yeah not going to thrive at all so that's what we're talking about is that And if um you know if you're not a a, a book person you like videos i'll give you a, a, a great video go check out benay brown's ted talk on on vulnerability and shame it's it's excellent worthy of your 18 minutes i promise and one of the things she talks about can in we, there
1: can we put a link to that on our oh, that's a good idea
0: Uh, making a note now for
1: this uh, podcast we put a link to that youtube because i know it's on youtube
0: yeah yeah and this is definitely worth worth your time and i think there's a lot we can learn from her research about how adults learn and how adults communicate and and what adults are looking for when they come to a group one of the things about adults is um, we don't do vulnerability at least not well in fact we we run from it we hide from it um, because we have this deep-seated fear of disconnection and unworthiness. the, the Adults have this great—I guess I should say people, probably not just adults—that we're unworthy. We're unworthy of being loved. I think for most people, if you boil it down to what their greatest fear is, it's that. And, and here's where our theology helps, right? Good theology is, is healing, and bad theology mm-hmm. hurts, right? Yeah. That's one of the things yeah. I say a lot. <clears throat> and here's where it's healing. In a couple of ways, uh, because here we have, um, we want to go back to our, our, our foundation, uh, who we are is founded in, a, in our baptism, right? We are claimed by God. We are worthy because he has made us, and in our baptism we are claimed by him. And that's our, our primary identity is someone who's found in Christ, mm-hmm. and doesn't matter what we do as our work, or, or unemployed, or our marital status or divorced or any other marker who we are is part of the baptized right and liturgy man has actually helped me with this right in in, in our remember your baptism service it it has the saying of remember your baptism and be thankful
1: actually liturgy man recommends you that's change right. that that's right that's what because I'm we we tend to be concrete thinkers, and because most of us in the United Methodist tradition were baptized as infants, yes. we can't remember the event of our baptism, Yes, which is what, you know, putting it that way, remember your baptism and be thankful, as wonderful as that is is problematic for some people because you know I, when I was a pastor I you know would have people say that to me I can't remember when I was baptized
0: yeah I went through confirmation
1: so a better, better perhaps a better and this is what liturgy man our friend and colleague Taylor Burton Edwards recommends is rather than saying remember your baptism yeah. say remember you are baptized
0: yeah which is a claim of our identity and be thankful and be thankful right now we have to go live that out. Right? Yes. But, we, but that's our foundation that's who we are is part of the baptized and we we belong to a, a community a community uh, universal right yeah. and so that's fundamentally who we are and if we can begin with that foundation uh, that no we are we're claimed, we're worthy um, we don't have to, to hide or shrink back from being vulnerable and and that's easier said than done Right? Because we all sort of fear, we still fear that, even knowing that in our head. Well, then
1: we have to unlearn.
0: Unlearn, that's a good word.
1: What the culture has Mm -hmm. ingrained ingrained, or maybe even beat into us. That's a good way to say it,
0: yeah. That's right. That
1: we're these labels. Because even though we are baptized, we live in the world. Yeah. um, And in a culture that... Beats that out of us, that that's right. through all kinds of means.
0: Yeah, so then we show up with small group, <laughs> right? <laughs> hoping for great things to happen. Exactly. And we wonder why they don't, right? It's because people are b- hiding behind all sorts of layers of masks, right? We could probably go into Henry Now and in the false self and all those sort of things. Um, so, how do we foster that? How do we foster vulnerability, right? I think that's the that, that's the big question we're wrestling with, and I think there are some things. Uh, we can do to to help that. And one of the things um, is, and we've talked about this before, is having a covenant, right? One of the things about having a covenant is it provides a framework, provides some boundaries for, for how we're going to talk with one another. And one of the things we always recommend in that covenant is confidentiality. Yes. Right? I mean, we're not going to have real safety in a group to be vulnerable, if there's no confidentiality, right? I mean, one of the things we can sort of laugh about is um, let, let's post what we're saying on Facebook or you know, live Facebook Live. No one's going to be vulnerable at that point, right? Mm-hmm. Shuts, shuts off. Um, but you've, you've got a great illustration you give about the the need for confidentiality. I'll let you share. Well, that. yeah,
1: and I and this comes from my work with Covenant Discipleship Groups because that's in my workshops. I all, when we're talking about the group dynamics of covenant discipleship groups, is there needs to be an understanding of confidentiality from the beginning? Yeah, absolutely. And what that means is, whatever is said in the context of the group meeting of that one hour yep. is sacred, yep. and it is not to go beyond the group, the members of the group. It is to stay with us it and no one and groups, no things. one else. Mm-hmm. And you know, my illustration of that is. In my group, since I've been on staff here, my group has been colleagues, a group of colleagues, yep. and it's, it's changed over the years. But one of the members of my group now is a colleague that also, my wife worked in the upper room for, oh, yeah, for yeah. like almost 10 years. Uh-huh. And we have been to this colleague's home. Yes. We know his kids and his wife. Yeah. And so my illustration is so often in the context of our covenant discipleship group meeting, he will share something about what's going on with one of his kids. Sure. Or in the house or with his wife. Yep. And it has nothing to do with the covenant or account- uh, accountability. He's just sharing something about his life. Could be
0: a prayer request.
1: But it's in the context of the hour. Yep which means and I have to remind myself of this sometimes I have to catch myself sure when I go home at that night and I'm having sitting at the dinner table with my wife Gina reflecting on your day and trying you know just having conversation yeah. I have I've and I, this has happened many times I've had to catch myself say oh by the way I said no I can't say that <laughs> because if I s- tell Gina about what he said in that meeting, and she runs into him and repeats it to him, I don't want him to think, "Okay, I said that to Steve in the context of our Covenant Discipleship right. Group hour." I wonder what else he might be telling <laughs> her.
0: Now suspicion is growing, and
1: then that that breaks yeah. our trust. Yeah. And I don't want, you know, I value that relationship, and I don't want to do that. That's right. I need to honor that confidentiality. No matter how innocuous he's, whatever he said. Sure.
0: It may seem innocent.
1: It may seem innocent, but if it gets back to him that I've repeated it to someone else, that breaks our trust.
0: And what's innocent for some person may not be for someone else. Right. I could have given you something that to me is vulnerable. Vulnerable is sacred and you share it with someone else and then it comes back even though it was innocent to you it was not innocent to me right um and and therefore now my trust is hurt and if once my trust is hurt um then things aren't going to go well right and and i think that's something we can look for when your small group's not going well is what's the level of trust in the Mm -hmm. group right and that that just that question alone can be a, a fodder for conversation in the group right do you come Really trusting this group, are there issues of trust we need to to work through? Because trust will will lead to safety and that for vulnerability. I know one of the stories I share is in the the current group that I'm in, small group that I'm in. When we first started in things where we were kind of staying at that polite stage for it seemed to me a little long, and then one one night somebody got vulnerable and, and you know basically said, hey, I'm not perfect and <laughs> I'm having an issue with this. And, and pray for me. And, and just that act alone of him being vulnerable bonded the group. Like I, I, I'm pretty confident the group would not have lasted two or three more months mm. had he not been willing to be vulnerable and, and, and continue that, right? yeah, yeah. And that. That invites other people to be vulnerable. <laughs> right? And so in terms of like training small group leaders, one of the things I would say is make sure they're, they're modeling this to their group. Right, they, they have to model what vulnerability looks like. Otherwise, others won't feel safe to do that. Right. Yeah. Someone's got to be willing to take that first step and say whatever that is. Yeah. And that will create a whole new dynamic in the group to, to forge relationships and bonds that are necessary for the group to to grow. Right? And I think we've all – my guess is if you've been in more than a couple of groups, you've experienced some groups that go really well and some that don't. And usually you can point to this. Yeah. All right, that, that no one was willing to be vulnerable, everybody was sort of hiding behind things. I, I know for me, in teaching Disciple many times, I also taught Disciple Fast Track one time, mm-hmm. and the difference was pretty enormous for me, that we did not build community the same way in the Fast Track that we did in the regular Disciple, because mm-hmm. we didn't have that bonding time, because yeah. the classes weren't weren't as long. Um, And and it makes a big difference in the group. And when you get to the end of the group with disciple where there's an ending point, um, there just wasn't a level of cohesion that I had experienced in other groups, a level of bonding, right? Those who go through the the full disciple, um, you know, they sort of share that bond uh, ongoing, Mm -hmm. right? Even though they don't meet regularly now, they still have that that bond that just did not form in the other group. And and I should sort of preface, they've changed some things since I did – the first fast track. It's from a beta version. So perhaps that's that's fine now. But um, I know you had experience with uh, a disciple class as well and how they develop bonds. Well, yeah,
1: it was actually the first disciple group. You know, there's a 34-week study um, in Duluth, Minnesota, where I, I was the pastor of a church in Duluth before I came here to Nashville. And this was in the winter in Duluth, Minnesota. So, if you, you can imagine, imagine I can't. Um, as, as we had obvious. the the, uh, the the previous weekend because this group met on Sunday nights, and the weekend I'm pretty sure it was the weekend before we had a major snowstorm go through northern Minnesota, and it was you know it dumped probably close to thirty inches of snow, which Ye- it has to be really bad to to cancel worship. Uh, yeah, in Duluth, Minnesota, so it it, it, it it was it was one of those storms that from, it, you know it, in terms of uh, for safety's sake we had to cancel everything.
0: Um, I'm interrupting you, but being from Duluth, Georgia, <laughs> thirty <laughs> inches of snow is mind-boggling, yeah. right? Point um, three inches of snow and we go nuts <laughs> right? Thirty inches of snow is like. Uh, The whole city of Atlanta will be shut down for a week. Anyway. Well, it
1: it shut down Duluth for one day. (laughs) Of course. Um, Yeah. And so the following Sunday, we decided in order to keep on schedule, and everybody agreed, in the group agreed, that to to keep on schedule, we needed to do two sessions back to back. And we decided we would do that, and and we would have dinner together. Mm Mm-hmm between the two sessions. And so we, did, we met a little early, um, had the, did the two hour session, yeah. and then we ordered in some Chinese food. Hey. And so then the whole group, for the first time as a group, shared a meal together. Mm-hmm. And something happened in mm. that hour
0: breaking of the bread of
1: eating together and just talking and being having fellowship one with one another over food at table together yeah the group changed the group was already good but after that it was better okay something important changed Mm. when we ate together and simply were together without an agenda Yep. And then we took up the second set and things were different. Things were, mm. there was something m- more had been added to the group there. I think more trust had been built. Mm-hmm. People were more willing to be vulnerable with each other. And that group, I know today they're still doing stuff together.
0: Mm. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um it was just a wonderful experience to be part of that.
0: So there's a few things that strike me in that. You know, one is just the the place of food. And we, we mentioned that in a prior episode, how much food can contribute yeah. positively to a group. Um, the other thing that it reminded me of is social time outside of the group. Mm-hmm. Right? That just that social time with no agenda uh, can be really enlivening for a group. Right? If your group is sort of stuck in that phase of uh, the doldrums that we talked about before... Um, Schedule some time outside of just just fellowship. Have somebody grill, um, go to a ball game, uh, go to a park. Right? It can be really yeah. inexpensive. Just bring some food, you know, um, let the kids play or whatever. Just to let let conversation happen. So that's certainly one. Um, another, um, and you mentioned this earlier when we were talking beforehand. Um, what I call micro groups, right? Which mm-hmm. sometimes you'll do in disciples break groups, right. just smaller.
1: Threes and fours.
0: Yeah, that can be a really powerful experience. Now, m- my experience with that is when I say, all right, we're going to break into small groups, this is the first response. Uh,
1: <laughs> I don't want to do that, right? Well, that's always my response, Scott. <laughs> so.
0: Well, that's, usually it's the extroverts. It's usually extroverts who's, who don't want that to happen. And the introverts very quietly in their heads are going, yes, <laughs> right? They're not going to say that out loud. You'll never hear it out loud. But it gives them time. Um, for a more intimate setting mm-hmm. um, in a group, especially a group larger than say even six or seven, right? Just to break into two or three, can be very valuable time in a group for for people who don't feel comfortable talking in a big group to right. share. Yeah, yeah, right. So breaking into those small micro groups can be another way that you can build uh, intimacy and trust. Because um, as I was thinking about this. Ahead of time, one of the things that strikes me is just our our theology and how much our theology should inform how we do small groups. Mm-hmm. Um, because at the heart of of God, the, the Triune God, are three persons in a self giving relationship. Right, and we're we're invited into that. Yes. And In order for that to happen, we need spaces of uh, safety, confidentiality, trust that leads us into a maturing relationship with God. Yeah. Right. That and that. That's where one of the outputs of a small group is each of the, the persons grow in their mm-hmm. relationship with God. I'll give this quote, and it comes from Gareth Eisnogel. It says, every Christian needs to know they are anchored to Christ through a small group, which is a safe harbor next to the soar- stormy, secular seas of life. Well, that was very well put, right? We need mm-hmm. those places of belonging, of relationship. Back to that image in the great divorce, right where we we need those places where we can unload, we can be vulnerable and share that 's one of the great gifts I think the church has to offer yeah. are those places of vulnerability because we're i think obviously we don't find those places elsewhere right in our especially yeah. in our more polarized society we, we need those, so um, anything else you would say for creating trust and vulnerability in small groups. <clears throat> I have
1: nothing to add, Scott.
0: Okay. Very good. Um, so uh, one of the things you can do in your small group is to take some time and just just go through one another and, and allow people to share what gifts they see in each other. What are the gifts each person brings to the group? That can be a very valuable time for the group um, to, to name some things that perhaps people don't see in themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. And, I, and I've, I've seen this happen in groups and can be a very valuable time when it comes to uh, bringing it back to our baptism. Right, this is, These are the strengths, the gifts that God has given us. And, and to name that in someone else can be a real gift. So if you haven't done that in a while, take some time in your small group to, just to allow each person um, just to kind of be quiet and allow other people in the room to name those gifts. Um, and, and to me, when I've seen this done well, is don't allow a response. Because <laughs> yeah. what typically happens is the person receives this and then gives all the disclaimers. Well, I can't really do that. And, you know, that's <laughs> nice of you to say that, but you know, don't allow a response. Just allow them to receive it as a gift, and just go around the room, and that can be a real blessing to one to each other. And uh, again, you could sort of end it with a remember, you're one of the baptized. Go and live it out.
1: And I think it it it's helpful. People need to be reminded, particularly mm-hmm. baptized people yeah. need to be reminded that because we are created in the image of God, mm-hmm. we are created for relationships. Yep. And that the way because we're because of the way we're because of who God is mm-hmm. and the way God has created us, we need relationships with other baptized people yep To get closer to God in order to get closer to God, we need to get close to one another. We learn about God through relating to the people that God gives to us yep. and puts in our into our lives by virtue of our baptism
0: mm-hmm.
1: um and that's why that's one of the reasons why small groups are not just a good idea, right. But they're essential, essential. because By, it's absolutely. in the small groups that those relationships we need yeah. to mature as followers of Jesus, to become fully the human beings God created us to be. It's in small groups where those relationships will be formed.
0: And maturity happens, and there's a close... they can't
1: happen if all you do is show up for worship Amen. for one hour a week.
0: <laughs> Amen. Preach on. So, so there's a there's a quote echoing in my head. There there's no holiness but social holiness. Who said that?
1: <laughs> oh, JW said w., that. JW, that's <laughs> right.
0: Right. I mean that right, that that's exactly what he meant by that phrase. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Is that's how we're gonna mature. That's how we're gonna grow in holiness. That's how we're gonna learn to love God and love our neighbors mm-hmm. is by being in a group and sometimes forced to be around people we don't <laughs> like. <laughs> and, and it's in those interactions that we grow and we mature. Um, so, yeah, there's a little of us preaching about why small groups are essential and necessary. Yeah. Right? Because that, that's where these things are going to happen, because building trust is not going to happen in in any worshiping community over the size of what, about a dozen? <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. you, you know, you need those smaller groups. So, all right, enough preaching about small groups, we're hopefully preaching to the choir with that. <laughs> uh, so as you know, our, our outro is, right, we hope that you'll interact with us. That you'll um, tell us what you like, what you don't like, that you'll give us a review on iTunes, suggestions for topics that you would like us to discuss. Absolutely, uh, we do want to pause or and give people credits. you'd
1: like us to interview, maybe.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. If, if you're someone who's doing great work in small groups and want to be interviewed, let yeah, us know. If you're absolutely. doing terrible work and you can't figure it out <laughs> and you want to be interviewed, um, hopefully we'll have some some helpful advice for you. Um, either way, let us know. Uh, should we do our credits? Yeah. All right. So I'll let you do the credits this time. I've done the credits before.
1: Oh. Well, our um, producer is, our executive producer is Steve Horswell Johnston, our director of communications here at yep. Discipleship Ministries. Our web producer is Mr. Matt Carlisle. Yep. And our technical director is the man.
0: The myth, the legend? Blake. <laughs> Blake thanks, Blake. Um, so yeah, be interactive with us. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at Rev Scott's tweets. And I'm at S Manskar, at S-M-A-N-S-K-A-R. And you can find resources about small groups and all sorts of other resources on our website, umcdiscipleship.org. We look forward to being in ministry with you. Until next time, peace.
1: Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.